Good morning. Wow, that was weak. <clears throat> morning. There we go. Better, better, better. Uh, I'm Pastor Rusty. Rusty. Rarely, rarely do I go by Pastor Rusty. I'm Rusty, one of the pastors here at the Ridge Church. Uh, Pastor Bobby is here today. I uh, was in the first service. He's actually teaching our Ridge U class uh, during this service. And the one today is how to tell other people about Jesus without feeling awkward. And Ridge U is something we do about once a month or so uh, and with different things going on. Uh, so make sure you keep a, a check out for that, look out for that to see what our next one. Next one hasn't quite been scheduled yet, uh, but uh, be on the lookout for that. Some really good things going on in Ridge U. Okay? This morning, we get to kick off a brand new series, uh, our Advent series. And I love, and I've said this before, I love kicking off new series. I love being the first one in a series. But you've heard that expression, be careful what you ask for? Yeah, well, it gets me on this one. Uh, but we'll get into that in just a second. Our Advent series. Um, talk just a second about Advent. I know last week Bobby covered some background information about Advent. And uh, if you were like me and you weren't here last Sunday, you sort of missed that. So let me give you just a little bit of background. We have the Advent candles up here. Advent is actually a season. Um, the actual definition of Advent is to the preparation or anticipation of the arrival of someone or something important. Okay? In the church, and the uh, liturgical church calendar, uh, church calendar year, Advent is a season that runs for the four Sundays leading up to Christmas and runs through Christmas Eve. Okay? So that's where we are on Advent. There are all sorts of things about colors and candles and other things. Um, if you really wanted to look into it, uh, I'd strongly suggest you take a minute and sort of Google that and, and check it out. There's actually a website called Patheos, P-A-T-H-E-O-S, uh, that has a blog by uh, Mark Roberts who does a really good job of giving a lot of background. Be worth checking out if that's the direction you want to go and to know more about it. It is a time where we prepare to celebrate the first arrival of Christ while at the same time anticipating the second arrival of Christ. Okay? And so we're celebrating Advent this year, which is a really cool thing. So let's get into today's message, which is going to be about family. And in doing the background and prep for this week, I couldn't think of a better title or come up with a better title or find one than Knots in the Family Tree. I see the looks on some of your faces. You, some of you go, I don't know what he's talking about. They're in my family. Some of you had a picture pop in, of somebody pop into your mind. Others of you had a name pop to mind. I mean, maybe it's that weird uncle or that crazy cousin, or maybe it's that guy who, when you were growing up, would just sort of show up at the Christmas family thing, and you never saw him any other time of the year, and he didn't say much. He just sort of stood off to the side and mumbled a little bit, and like sometime after the food was gone, he would just disappear and you'd ask your mama about him and she said oh that's uncle so-and-so don't you don't worry about him just just bless his heart i mean you know just and if you want a little more oh <laughs> this place
with somebody about that. I hope I'm going to have enough time uh, just to sit down. Is that me? Do what? So you want to change the battery or you want me to go with another mic? How about that? All righty. <clears throat> okay, so I like finding out about my family history. And so looking back, there's, there are a few things I know about the Sampsons, okay? Uh, for example, there was a Henry Sampson on the Mayflower. I have no idea if I'm directly related to him or not, but there was one on there. There have been apparently a bunch of Sampsons came over to Plymouth in the early days of our country. Apparently, we are originally a combination of French and Jewish. I'm not sure how that worked. But then moved to England and from England to here. Uh, I did find out that our family motto is a variations of the same thing, which goes back to death before dishonor. Apparently, we are an intense group. <laughs> Who would have thought? I would have never guessed. Uh, but yeah, so, somewhat intense. We're all part of a family though, right? I mean, none of us got here by ourselves. Mom and Dad took care of, of getting us here. Um, and regardless of whether we have a great relationship with our family or no relationship or, or somewhere in the middle, we all have family roots. And if we look back in our family history, our genealogy, our family tree, we can, we'll all find people that we're proud to say that we're related to and then we'll also find those knots. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes we are the knots. Okay? But what about Jesus' family? What was his family tree like? Well, one side was pretty spectacular. For those of you that are a little slow this morning, that's the God side. Okay? <laughs> that's the God side. No knots on that side. I am so not going to try to get struck by lightning this morning. No knots on the God side. But what about his earthly family tree? How did that pan out? How did that look? I mean, let's face it. He's king of king, lord of lords, savior. Surely he came from a good lineage, right? Or maybe not so much. Maybe not so much. And that's where we're going to look. We're going to start with our scripture today, which is Matthew 1, 1 through 17. And if you would, please, I'm going to ask you to stand while we read this scripture. It's a little lengthy, 17 verses, but I'm going to read it fast. One, because it's lengthy. 
too, because reading it fast makes it easier to say some of the names. So, <clears throat> here we go. Matthew 1, 1 through 17, the historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nation, Nation fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered King David, then David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Reboham, Reboham fathered Abijah, Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat, who according to some people must have been a good jumper. Jehoshaphat, <coughs> that's not in there, but what can I say? Jehoshaphat fathered Joram, Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham, Jotham fathered Ahaz, Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, Manasseh fathered Ammon, Ammon fathered Josiah. And Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Then after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shatil, Shatil fathered Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel fathered Abiad, Abiad fathered Elikam, Elikam fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok, Zadok fathered Achim, Achim fathered Iliad. Iliad fathered Eliezer, Eliezer fathered Mathan, Mathan fathered Jacob. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Father, we know that you gave us your word so that we could learn more about you and, and come close, not just to learn about you, but to come closer to you and to help develop our relationship with you. So, Father, we thank you for this, and we ask that you, that you open hearts, open minds, so this message falls on the hearts of those that you intended for. Because, Father, we know that your word isn't wasted. So, Lord, take this message and use it as you would. In your son's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Thank you. Now, <coughs> Matthew, first book in the New Testament. Written by Matthew, former tax collector, one of the original 12 disciples of Christ. He writes his biographical account of Jesus. And he wants people to read it, right? And he starts with these 17 verses. What was he thinking? I don't get it. I mean, right? And it, didn't make, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me until you start looking at, uh, do a little bit more background, and the first four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all basically biographical sketches, right? Written by four different people to four different groups of people. Okay? For example, Matthew wrote to the Jews. That was his target audience, were the Jews. Mark wrote to the Romans, Luke to the Gentiles, and John to the Greeks. Now all of a sudden, it makes a little bit better sense why Matthew decided to start out like this. Because to the Jews, genealogy was a big stinking deal. It wasn't a little thing. If Christ would have done everything that he did during his life, but he didn't come from the proper lineage, 
he would have been disqualified as the Messiah. Other people had claimed to be the Messiah. They didn't measure up. In essence, Matthew was telling the Jewish people right from the very beginning, he was verifying for them, or in, in our culture today, what we term as betting. He was betting Christ as the Messiah, verifying, yes, he is. He comes from the right line. It's biblical. It's scriptural. It's, this is him for real. Okay? And as we go through this, I realize that when we first read this, it's about as interesting as reading a phone book. But if you go back through it and dig a little deeper, a lot of that changes because there are some really informational things in here and some really important points that we need to pick out. And so today I want to highlight three men, five women, in the direct line of Christ and take a look at them and some things about their lives. We're going to start out with the men. Let's start out with Abraham. Now understand that Abraham is considered to be sort of the root of the family tree for three different world religions today, right? Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Christianity and Judaism by way of Abraham's son Isaac, Islam by way of his son Ishmael. Okay? They all trace their, their roots back to Abraham. Abraham is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. Uh, God sought him out. To do this, he didn't seek God out. God sought him out to be this pillar of our faith. But let's talk a little bit about Abraham. See, Abraham was married to a woman named Sarah, who apparently was drop dead gorgeous. So much so that it caused some problems for Abraham. See, Abraham was getting ready to take his family into Egypt. And Abraham realized just how good-looking Sarah was, and he had a pretty good idea that once they got into Egypt, Pharaoh was going to get word of it and want Sarah as his wife, which just wasn't cool since she was already married, so he figured Pharaoh would just have Abraham killed. And Abraham wasn't really cool with that. So they get into Egypt, and sure enough, word gets back to Pharaoh just how good-looking she is. He calls her up, checks her out, looks at Abraham and goes, Your wife? Abraham went, nope, sister. <laughs> so Pharaoh goes, cool, now she's my wife. But God didn't like that. So God dumps a bunch of plagues on Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh didn't like that. Pharaoh's going, what on earth is going on? I didn't have these problems until I married you. What is up with this? He calls back Abraham, what, what's going on? Well, she's not really my sister. What do you mean? Well, she's my wife. Take her. Take her back. Go away. Get these plagues off of me. Now, that's bad enough, right? To turn your back on your family is bad enough. But he did it again. Later on, they go into another country. He comes up against a king called Abimelech. Does the same thing. Nope. Not my wife. That's my sister. So Abimelech took her. God, so God tells Abimelech, you shouldn't have done that. I'm going to kill you. Well, go figure, Abimelech's not real cool with that. And he's going to, wait, 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 God. What are you killing me for? I didn't do anything. I'm marrying a guy's sister. Nope. Married his wife. What? No. Really, God, I'm innocent. I haven't even touched her. Okay? Just, I'll, I'll give her back. Just don't kill me. And so he gives Sarah back 
to Abraham. Not once, but twice, a pillar of our faith turns his back on his family. Basically, turns coward. Let's talk about David. As in David and Goliath, right? Goes on to be a renowned king. One day, David's lounging around the palace, kicked back on his couch, decided that it's time to to get up, take a little stretch, go for a little walk. So he goes up on top of his palace and is walking around. He's walking around, looking over the city. He looks down into a courtyard and sees a woman by the name of Bathsheba bathing. Now, apparently in Veggie Tales, it says that David wanted Bathsheba's ducky. I'm not finding Ducky in 2 Samuel anywhere, okay? David inquires about her, finds out that she's married to a guy named Uriah, who's a soldier fighting in, in David's army at that point in time. They're off at war. Now, that's cool by him. So he, he brings Bathsheba to the palace, ends up seducing her, having sex with her, and she ends up getting pregnant. That's not so cool with him. So he comes up with the plan. He sends to, to have Uriah sent back to the, to the palace, and, and uh, Uriah gets there, and, and David tells him, well, I just go and spend the night at your house. You know, I'll send you back tomorrow. And the plan was from David's plan was for him to come back, spend the night at his house, get a good meal at home, sleep in his own bed, have sex with his wife. And then later on when he found out she was pregnant, he would think it was his. Everything would be nice and tidy. The problem came when Uriah went home, he didn't go in the house. He slept on the front steps. So David calls him back the next day when he finds out about it. He goes, what's up with you sleeping on the front steps? I sent you home. You had a great chance here. I mean, what are you doing? He says, well, you know, I can't. Well, my comrades, my men are on the front line fighting and sleeping on the dirt. I can't go in and have a meal and, and, you know, be with my wife? I can't do that. that. That's just, that's not right to them. That would dishonor them. So to honor them, I just slept on the front step. They said, great. So he comes up with plan B. He calls Uriah back again and says, here, take this letter, the sealed letter to your commander. Uriah, being a good soldier, says, okay. So he goes back to the front line, takes it to his commander. What he did not realize, what the letter said was, send Uriah and his men to the front lines on the worst part of the fighting. When they really get going hard, have them retreat. Just don't tell Uriah. Have everybody else retreat. So that's what his commander did, and Uriah was killed in combat. David, a person who is said to have been after God's own heart, an adulterer and a murderer. And why is that important? One reason is because it points out that even a man after God's own heart needs a Savior. Talk about Joseph for a minute, the adopted father of Jesus. Joseph was a godly man. He was a carpenter in a small rural town. Uh, lived in a home that was probably made, according to some research, made out of stone and probably really wasn't much bigger than a parking spot today. Engaged to be married. 
found out that his fiancée was pregnant. And he knew it wasn't his. Now, God tells him that, yes, it's God's, and, and, and Joseph, is, is, he deals with that. He's okay with that. But can you imagine what Joseph's life must have been like? Whereas Joseph and Mary accepted that, what about the rest of the people in their town? Hey, Joseph, your fiance's pregnant. Yeah. Yours? No. No? Then whose? God. My son's going to be the Christ. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Just, you just, just, yeah, just stick with that idea there, Joseph. You know that he, that he lived a life of ridicule and disgrace and shame. But he held fast. And he followed God's will and raised Jesus as his own. Let's talk about some women. Let's talk about five women here. Five women, which is really unusual uh, in genealogy uh, for the Jewish culture because women just weren't mentioned. But in Christ's family tree, in the genealogy, it mentions five of them. Four of them weren't even Jewish. They were Gentiles. And they all had some issues. And before I get, in, get into this, just let me say this, a little side note here. If you're going to have a child and you want to give them a biblical name, which is really cool, but you might want to do some research first. Okay, just saying. Don't just pick a name out of the back in the concordance. No, you really want to check a little bit of history here. Let's talk about Tamar. Tamar was married to Judah's son, whose name was Ur. Ur was so wicked that God killed him. Okay? Now, in that culture, it was tradition that if a man who was married died, and if he had a brother, his brother would marry the widow. Take her and the kids in and, and raise them. But Ur had a brother. His name was Onan. But Onan wasn't a whole lot better off than Ur. He was a real jerk. So he took Tamar, but really all he wanted was Tamar's ducky. Uh, I, he had no intentions of getting Tamar pregnant and having children to raise as his offspring. He had no plans on that whatsoever. So that wasn't really happening for Tamar. Uh, which was bad news for her as far as being taken care of. But Judah said, okay, fine, you know, you stay in my house. Uh, you know, I'll let you live in my house. And then later on, Judah's wife dies. And he goes off, a little later, he goes off to, to shear some sheep. Well, Tamar, seeing that things aren't working out because Judah promised a younger son, but that really wasn't panning out really well either. So she dresses like a prostitute, goes and hangs out, on the route where Judah would be coming back. Now whether she picks him up, he picks her up, whichever way you want to look at it, they were both wrong. They end up getting together, hooking up, having sex. She ends up pregnant. He has no idea that it's Tamar. Later on, they come to Judah and says, hey, by the way, Tamar's pregnant. 
And he's going, well, that's not right. That's immoral. Bring her to me. <laughs> we'll burn her. Gets there, and Tamar goes, uh, mm, time out. Might want to think about that. Uh, basically, congratulations. You're going to be Grandpa Daddy. So Judah doesn't kill Tamar. And Tamar goes on to have twins. One of those twins is Perez, who ends up being in the direct line of Christ. And rumor has it that apparently Tamar's relatives eventually move to Alabama and say, roll tide a lot. Uh, I'm sorry. Shouldn't have, sorry. Really, that, that part's not in the Bible, okay? That, 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 that part isn't. So let's go on to Rahab. Then you have Rahab. Rahab, whose name means pride, insolence, and savagery. Don't name your daughter Rahab. And if you're named Rahab, I'm so sorry. Uh, she was a Canaanite. Canaanites were enemies of the Jews. She was also a prostitute. Now, she lived in Jericho. The Israelites are getting ready to invade. They send spies into Jericho. The spies get into Jericho, realize that they may be caught, so they, they go to Rahab's house to take up lodging in Rahab's house. King gets word that there are spies there and they may be at Rahab's. Rahab hides them on the roof underneath a bunch of plaques and stuff. She goes to the king. The king says, hey, you got spies hiding at your house? You putting up spies? She said, I got guys there, but I didn't know they were spies. But hey, they aren't there anymore. They cut out just before the gates closed for the night. They're on the run. You might want to chase them down before they, you know, before they get away. So the king sends his guys out to chase them down. The whole time they're at Rahab's house. She goes back, helps them to escape by climbing down a rope out of a window to get out of the city. She ends up being David's great-great-grandmother. And then you have Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. Moabites traced their lineage back to Lot. Now, Lot was not having, he, he wasn't in a good place. He was, couldn't be in the city because he was afraid he'd be killed. His wife had already turned into a pillar of salt. That's not a good thing. Uh, he has, him and his two daughters are hiding out in the wilderness in a cave. Now, the two daughters are going, this doesn't go good for us. We're never going to get a husband here in the cave. There's nobody out here that we're going to be able to find as a husband. And without a husband, then we're not going to have any children, and our line will end, and that was just couldn't be had. So they took turns getting Lot, their father, so drunk that he had no idea what was going on each of them had sex with him and got pregnant by him. And Ruth the, Ruth the Moabite meets some of God's people during a famine, ends up converting, ends up becoming an incredibly godly woman and David's great-grandmother. And it's easy to tell Moabites now because they're Gator fans. But I promise I won't do that anymore. <laughs> but then you have Bathsheba, who had the affair with King David while her husband's off at war. The affair led to the birth of Solomon. Solomon goes on to be a great king, builds a temple to God, writes three books of the Bible. And then you have Mary, 
Jesus' mother, who ends up pregnant before being married. Now, I realize that in, in our culture today, that's not an, an earth-shattering thing, or, but in her culture, it was. And she could have been put to death. Joseph certainly didn't have to continue on and marry her. You know that she lived a life of ridicule as well. Disgrace and ridicule among the people around her. No matter how many times she said, oh yeah, my child's the Messiah, he's the Christ. Really, Mary, how's Jesus doing? How's your little Christ doing? Building my table. Is he building it or did he just speak it into existence? How's he doing there? Huh? You know that it could not have been easy for Mary. Again, shamed and disgraced. So what's all this have to do with you? What kind of past do you have in your family history? Or even a better question, what type of past do you have? Have you turned your back on family? Adultery? Prostitution? Incest? Murder? Shame? Disgrace? Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, wow, man, these people are jacked up. That's their issues here. Thank you, God, for not having me be anything like that. Oh, so I get it. So pride is your issue. Which, according to the Bible, is as bad, if not worse, than some of these others. Listen to me, though. Jesus had a jacked up history. He understands where you've been. But just because your past is jacked up doesn't mean that your future has to be jacked up. If we dig deep enough in any of our family trees, we're going to find some serious knots. And a lot of times we are that knot in one form or fashion. But you know what that means? It simply means we all need the Savior. Jesus was adopted by Joseph. And Jesus wants to adopt you into his family. He knows your past. He knows your present. He knows your future. He knows if you sobered up just in time to make it here this morning. And he knows if you had one last shot or one last hit just before you came in here this morning just to calm your nerves to get you past being here. He knows who you're having sex with. He knows what you watch on your TV and what you look at on your computer. You know what else he knows? He knows that he loves you. Regardless, he loves you. And he wants you to be part of his family. It doesn't matter how great your sin is. God's grace is greater. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving me, even though you know my past and my present in my future. 
thank you for loving me even though I'm so not worthy of your love. But you love me anyway. Father, I ask that you would open the hearts. Open the hearts of, of anyone in here today that, that hasn't felt that love or accepted that love. Anybody who thinks that their past or maybe even their present is so jacked up and messed up that you would never have anything to do with them. Father, help them to see that that is just a lie from Satan. That you love them above everything. That you so want them to be in your family. That you didn't create them because you need them. You created them. And you created all of us because you want us. Help us to take that step. haven't accepted that God loves you like that, if you haven't asked him to take you into his adopted family, now's a great time. And there are a couple of different ways if you want to go about it. There are connection cards that's somewhere close to you. There's a place on there that just says, hey, you know, I, I'm, I've received Christ or I want to talk to somebody about receiving Christ. Just check that. Put some contact info. Drop it on the table just outside the door at Ridge Central on the way out and somebody will contact you. If you want to come down front, as you come down front, somebody will meet you down here. Somebody will come to pray with you if you want to do it that way. But please don't miss an opportunity to be part of God's family.